if we would, for the reading of God's Word. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 28. We're going to look at one verse of Scripture. We're going to spend most of our time on this verse. We'll look at a couple of, reference a couple of the verses, but we're going to really dissect this verse apart uh, this morning as we talk about uh, what the contents of this verse contains. Let's read the verse out loud together. We're beginning in verse 28 there. Ready? Here we go. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Let's read that one more time. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. I want to preach a sermon this afternoon entitled this, Leave the Landmarks Alone. Leave the Landmarks Alone. Let's pray. God, I, I do ask today that you'd help us as we are reminded of just some important, wonderful parts of what we have inherited uh, as Christians in the 21st century. And Lord, as many of these things are under assault, many people are trying to get rid of them or change them, may we value them and may we hold to them, may we protect them, uh, may we watch guard over them. I may the sermon today be a strong reminder of that very thing. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In the, um, in the, Old, Te- right, yeah, in the Old Testament, uh, when God gave the Israelites their land, they marched into the uh, promised land there, and God gave them their promised land, uh, He had Joshua divide the land up between the twelve tribes. And uh, after the property was divided up between the tribes, they uh, went further than that and they divided them up into families, large families, and then down into the individual families. And uh, then from there, that, that, lot, that land was set up and established as a particular families, and they would mark off that property. Now, uh, all of you property owners here today, uh, some of you maybe have that fence that runs right on your property line, right? And that is the line of your property. It is clear and established. Anybody here today have property where the property line isn't really well established? And that has caused uh, where you have to call a surveyor, that kind of thing to come out. Look, anybody ever had to do that? Okay, a few hands going up there. Uh, so they had the same issue back then. So what they would do is they would take a large rock or some uh, object of such and they would place it on the corners of their properties and those four corners or however the property was laid out was marked by those rocks was marked by those rocks. And the Bible was very clear in telling the children of Israel, look, you're not to move the landmarks. What someone would do is they'd go out at nighttime and they'd get a group of people from their home and they would maybe nudge that rock over just a foot or two. Just a foot or two. And if you only move one rock per year, a couple of feet, who's going to notice? Right? But you turn around 25 years later and you have stolen a lot of property. A lot of property. Very subtle. Very subtle. Over time, great property loss took place. Now, God is using that concept of landmarks, boundaries, uh, uh, that, that, that object that has heavy and has been placed there to signify a specific boundary. God is using that example to not just talk about property, but to talk about the boundaries and that which is inherited in Christ. That which is inherited in salvation. And uh, this morning, I want us to look at verse 28, this idea of leaving the landmarks alone. I'd like for us to consider three very important thoughts this morning. Point number one is this. Venerable landmarks. Venerable 
landmarks. Now, that word venerable has the idea of being beautiful and impressive because of age. It is worthy of reference. It is worthy of reverence. And it has become of high noble and high character. Venerable. Venerable. These landmarks have been around a long time. They've been established and they are to be solid bedrock in the life of a Christian. Look back at verse 28 there. Notice it says, remove not the ancient. The ancient landmarks. These are landmarks that have been around uh, for many, many, many years in the past. i got to say that uh, there are some landmarks that God gave us in the very beginning of the Bible. And these landmarks are just precious. They're beautiful to behold. They're beautiful to look at. Letter A, notice the landmark of the family. The landmark of the family. Maybe no landmark in our society, in our culture, around the globe in the 21st century is under greater assault and under greater peril than that of the family. Let me say that marriage was not invented by some court somewhere. Marriage was created by a holy God. It is the very first institution in the Bible. Marriage is venerable. Marriage is beautiful. God created man and then looked at man and saw that he was lonely and said, it is not good. The first time those words ever came out of the mouth of God. It is not good that man should be alone. He put Adam to sleep, performed the first surgery, took out of him a rib and made the most beautiful creature that could possibly be made. Adam woke up and he looked at her. His name was Ish, meaning man or Adam. And he looked at his wife and called her Isha, the Hebrew word for woman, which means of man or from man. And Eve was taken from Adam's side and Adam was completed. Adam was completed. And i got to say this morning that the institution of marriage was created by God. Uh, The first husband and first wife was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You can say, well, pastor, are you a hate-filled preacher because you are preaching a traditional set of marriage? I'd say that, no, you are a hate-filled person if you think my position is weird. This has been the standard for all of the history of mankind up until just a couple of years ago. And so why am I hateful and weird to hold a position that's been held by all of humanity for thousands of years? Marriage is venerable. Marriage is venerable. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, it says, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, uh, uh, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Let not man put asunder. It is God's perfect will uh, for marriages to be maintained, for marriage to continue on. And the order and structure in the home is to be that God is the leader of the home. The husband follows the Lord. The wife follows the husband and the Lord. And the children fall in behind the mother and the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as everyone is subservient to the one ahead of them, boy, you sure have a happy Happy, happy home. The landmark of the family. God placed that landmark down in our culture, down in our creation, and He said, it is an ancient landmark, don't move it. Don't move it. Don't touch it. Don't change it. Don't do anything to it. We live in a day and age where if you turn on the TV and you turn on a cartoon, the dad is the biggest doofus on the screen. If the dad's even there at all. 
The children is the child is the smartest one in the family, and mom does okay for herself, but she's not as smart as the kids. This is Satan trying to take the whole order of the home and just flip it upside down. This is Satan trying to move the ancient landmark. And I'm here to say, don't move it. Don't move it. You have too much food in your belly and you're sleeping. Wake up. Amen? Don't move it. That landmark is not to be moved. You say, Pastor, my marriage is in a rough spot. I'm thinking about a divorce. Go get a dictionary and cut the word out of your dictionary. That is not God's perfect plan. If you're here today and you've been through a divorce, listen, I'm here to love you and help you and, and, and cherish you through that and, and lead you and nurture you through that. I'm sorry that you experienced that. I am. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I think anyone here today that's gone through divorce would stand right by me and say, Pastor, tell the people that are married to work through their problems and not run to the divorce court. Because divorce hurts, it hurts, it hurts. Not only does it hurt uh, uh, you and your spouse, it hurts your children even more if you've got those. And no child deserves to be pulled through that unnecessarily. You do your very best to stand next to your spouse and you work through your problems and you love each other. You love each other, you love each other. We need a, a, a day and an age where children understand that they, they don't get to call the shots in the home. They don't backtalk mom and dad. They don't tell mom and dad what to do. They come under and they follow mom and dad's leadership and they know what their role is. Ephesians 6, 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother. And this is what you're supposed to do. Uh, it is an ancient landmark you're not to move. I just have to say to the children here, you better be glad you don't live back in Bible times. Because if you were caught publicly back-talking your parents, you were drug out of town and stoned. Stoned. I bet there wasn't a whole lot of public back-talking back then. <laughs> um, now, we don't stone children anymore, and I'm not threatening that to anyone in the room. But what I'm trying to help you see is this is important. Look up here at me right now. I got several people in the auditorium, several kids in the auditorium looking around, playing with something. Put, if you got something in your hand, put it down and give me your attention right up here, please, okay? It is important that you honor your mother and your father. Let me just explain that to the kids real quick. When you're told to take out the trash, taking out the trash with a bad attitude is obedience, but it's not honor. Taking out the trash before you're asked is honor. And then if you're asked, taking it out with a positive attitude is honor. That's obedience. That's the landmark of the family. Letter B, I see the landmark of our faith. The landmark of our faith. As Christians, what makes our faith rise above the rest? You've got all these religions in the world. You know what they are? They're counterfeits of the real, true thing. Real, true thing. What, what makes our faith venerable? What makes it beautiful? What dignifies it? Well, I, I wrote down a couple of things here. The first one I wrote down was the cross. The cross. If you want to look at the staple of what we believe, you look at an old rugged cross. You look at God who became a man and allowed Himself to be beaten. He hung there, bloodied, bludgeoned. He didn't look like a man or a woman or an animal. The Bible says His visage was like a worm. As, as, as much as he endured physically, oh my goodness. Spiritually, he became your sin. There is no religion out there that has a leader that was willing to become the worst of the worst of its creation in order to salvage and save them. What makes our faith 
so beautiful? What makes this landmark so precious? It's that Jesus Christ loved you and I enough to come and hang on a cross. Die for our sin. It's the power of the resurrection of Jesus that after our sin killed Him, He said, I'm stronger than your sin. He stood up and He, he won. He, he gathered together the keys of death, of hell and the grave. He said, I own them. They're mine. And anyone who calls on My name, I'll save them. We have a beautiful faith. We have a beautiful faith because of our cross. We have a beautiful faith because Jesus, the Son of the living God, the only begotten Son of God, came and was willing to hang on that tree for you and I. My friend Muhammad did not die for his people. Confucius did not die for his people. Buddha did not die for his people. But Jesus was willing to die for his people. My friend Muhammad is still in the grave. And Confucius is still in the grave. And Buddha is still in the grave. But Jesus is alive forevermore. What makes our faith beautiful? What makes it venerable? The cross. The cross. But I look at how beautiful our faith is, and I wrote this down as well, the church. The church. Let me tell you today, Jesus loves His church. Jesus came and He established the church. He, he came and He looked at Peter and He said, Thou art Peter, Petros, you're the, you're the layer of soil over the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, now they can try to shut down churches all they want all over the world. You can, you can, uh, you can make us run and hide, but you can't stop us. And they haven't been able to stop us. In North Korea right now, where all of that madness is happening, with their dictator who's saber-rattling with nuclear weapons and threatening to launch a nuclear attack against us and South Korea and all the craziness that's going on, there is an underground movement of Christianity that has exploded over there in North Korea. I read something in a, uh, an article the other day that said 36% of the non-government military people in North Korea are professing Christians. And the more they try to squash it out, the more people become Christians. I would just stop and ask anyone who's a skeptic or a doubter or a hater this question. If Jesus Christ is a phony, how come His people keep popping up a brand new all over the place? How come that keeps happening? They are... They are killing Christians left and right over there. They are using nasty, scary, horrible tactics to trap children into turning over their parents so that their parents will be killed. And i got to say today that uh, Jesus Christ loves His church. He loves His church. And you can rise up with evil against it. It's only going to expand and grow and explode. You may remember when the wall fell uh, in 1980. In the 1980s, you may remember when the wall fell over in in Germany and the 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 the, the Soviet Union. Uh, that communist wall fell, and you know what happened was that. Uh, Christians ran over there and they opened up boxes of Bibles and people were swarming to the Bibles to get them. Why? Because people were hungry for truth. Hungry for truth. Jesus cherishes His church. He loves His church. How many of you men here remember the day that you married the lovely bride sitting next to you? How many men remember that? You better raise your hand, guys. Alright, you're going to get in trouble if you don't. You remember standing up there with that preacher or maybe next to that judge, whoever it was, and down the aisle came that bride in her white white, white, uh, garment. 
And the music started. Dun, dun, da, da. You know, when the bride walks in, everyone likes to look at the bride. I like to look at the groom. Anybody here like that with me? I like to look up at the groom. And you see some funny things on the groom's face. I've seen grooms just break down and weep right there on the spot. I've, uh, I've seen big, cheesy, goofy-looking smiles break out on faces. There's going to be a day where Jesus comes and gets His bride, the church. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 says this. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife, that wife is the church, His wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Boy, God superimposes the righteousness of Jesus on the church, removes the sin, places that righteousness there. And there's going to be a wedding in heaven. Jesus is going to receive His bride, the church. He's going to cherish her and love her. And all of eternity will be a honeymoon of Jesus and His church. Let me say today that the church is under great assault. This landmark is attempting to get moved around and pushed around and, and, and changed in all sorts of ways. But Jesus loves His church. He says, don't mess with a landmark of the church. Leave it alone. Number one, we see a venerable landmarks. Number two, we see valuable landmarks. Valuable landmarks. Look at verse 28 of Proverbs chapter 22. The Bible says, Remove not the ancient landmarks. Look at that last half of the verse. Which thy fathers have set. Which thy fathers have set. These landmarks that our forefathers have set were placed with great sacrifice. They were placed with great love. They were placed by being cherished and valued and valued enough that men were willing to give the ultimate sacrifice of their life so that those landmarks could be placed there and left there and guarded there. I look at the Bible. God's precious book that sits in our lap in the English language. I made reference to it in the early services. It is a perfect word that we hold. And God has purified His word and, and preserved it down into our language. And if you're holding a King James Bible in your lap, you have the timeless truth of God being handed to you. And you think, oh pastor, but I've got a hundred Bibles at home. I've got... I've got Bibles at work. I've got Bibles in my car. I've got Bible apps on my phone. I've got Bibles coming out of my ears. What's the big deal? Don't let William Tyndale hear you say that. William Tyndale was a trailblazer of Bible translation into the language of the people. In the face of the Catholic Church, he translated the Bible into the language of the people. So they would have a copy of God's Word. In fact, much of what the uh, the King James uh, uh, translators referred back to, one of the sources they referred back to is William Tyndale's writings. You say, well, what happened to William Tyndale? Well, he stood up against the Catholic Church, and oh boy, did he stir up a hornet's nest. Not only did he stand up to the Catholic Church, he stood up to King Henry VIII's divorce and, 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 and just denounced it. And So now he had the religious institution against him. He had a political institution against him. And he would not back down. So he was tied up at a stake where he would be choked to death. And then his body would be burned. You say, oh, what's, what's it matter, Pastor? I've got ten... 15, 20 Bibles in my possession. I can uh, get Bibles anywhere I want. It's a landmark that's valued. It's a landmark that was protected. 
Don't wake up tomorrow morning and walk past your Bible and just shrug your shoulders at it. Somebody died. Somebody was killed. Many people were burned at the stake so that you could have a copy of that Bible right there. Value it. Value it. Value it. Value it. Value it. It's valued landmark. It's a valued landmark. I think about the purity of the church. You look at the modern religions around us, the modern denominations around us. The oldest one dates back to about 400 A.D., and that's the Catholic Church. You know, I'm, I'm not a Baptist because I like to be controversial, because I like to line up and look like a kook to the world. I'm not a Baptist because, you know, I like the stigma that the world has given the Baptist. By the way, it shouldn't be surprising that the Catholic Church, or rather that, I'm sorry, rather that the culture at large has, has tagged us as cultish or kookish. That shouldn't be surprising. That means we're doing something right. That means that, or that, that very well could mean that, that Satan is aiming his forces at us to keep people from becoming one of us. You say, well, Pastor, why are you a Baptist? You go all the way back to Jesus Christ. In that first century church, there were a group of people that held on to the truth. They held on to solid Bible doctrine. Many times they were underground and they were hidden because of the persecution of those who believed the truth and what was right. But they, uh, you can find them in history dating all the way back to Jesus Christ Himself. And uh, uh, that group of people, when, were, uh, when given a title, they were called the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists. By the way, they didn't pick that name for themselves. They were given that name. They were given that name. You say, why would they call them Anabaptists? Because Anabaptist means rebaptizer. Rebaptizer. Uh, we, uh, the, the, the Anabaptists believe that you should not get baptized at birth, but you should get baptized after you trust in Christ. By the way, that's what the Bible teaches. You can't find one place in the Bible that says a baby should get baptized. The word baptized means to be submerged or consumed. If you put an infant in that baptistry pool, you'd kill it. You can't baptize a baby. Nowhere in the Bible do you find that. You say, well, Pastor, what's the big deal? Do you know that they took these rebaptizers, and I'm talking about Protestant Reformation leaders, took these rebaptizers and they would throw them in rivers and kill them there? They would tell them, recant of your belief that babies shouldn't be baptized, and they would not do it, so they were killed. They were killed. My friends, not only did Jesus Christ pay the ultimate sacrifice to give us the church, there have been scores of people who have been willing to die so that you can sit on a church pew with a Bible in your lap and have solid Bible doctrine preached to you. You ought to value that. Those are landmarks that someone stood by and said, I'm not getting out of the way. You're not going to move the landmark unless you kill me first. The purity of the church. It's a valued landmark. It's a valued landmark. Let me ask you a question this morning before we move on to the third and final point. What is a country with no borders? What's a country with no borders? It's not a country, is it? 
you were to go over to um, the Ukraine. You were to strip away its borders. No customs, no passports, no border patrol. I'm staying away from the U.S. because that's a hot topic. Amen. You know what the Ukraine would cease to be? Cease to be a nation. You know what Ukraine and every other country, sovereign country does? It values its borders. Values its borders. We have some nonsensical people that think that uh, we just need to remove the border down on our southern end. Just let anybody who wants to to come in here. And I don't... I'm not going to get super political this morning. Angela is a, 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 a naturalized citizen. She didn't come in here illegally. She, she went through the process. So you can figure out where we stand. And I say we, I mean her and I together. Okay? We've spent thousands of dollars and all kinds of appointments and, and days off of work. And so you can guess where my wife stands on this topic. But a country with no borders is no country. I said that to make this point. Christianity's got to have some borders. It's got to. And if you want to go to one of these churches that doesn't preach against anything, there are no borders to the Christian life that way. You cease to be a Christian like you cease to be a country. Now, you can be saved without being a Christian. You can be saved without acting like Christ. There are plenty of saved people who aren't acting like Jesus Christ. But I'm trying to tell you this morning that we've got to value those landmarks. We've got to value those borders. And I mean, yes, I mean the church and I mean the cross and and, and keeping those doctrines from getting polluted and, and, and turned into strange things. We've got to stand by that. We've got to hold to that. We've got to cherish our Bible. But I mean the, the landmarks about how to live a separate Christian life. Those are landmarks we've got to stand by as well. We've got to value those. Let me say this morning that if I get up and I preach something and you may not agree with it 100% and you think to yourself, well, I think he's just being a legalist. Can I tell you today, you ought to be glad you got a preacher who's willing to open the Bible and stand where the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, and, 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 and stand on it and shout it and preach it because that means that we believe in borders. We believe in borders. Now, I think it can be dangerous to over-preach borders or to set your borders in places the Bible doesn't set them. But where the Bible says in clear black and white, uh, thus saith the Lord, or thou shalt, or thou shalt not, bless God, we got to stand there as well. Number three, I see vulnerable landmarks. Vulnerable landmarks. Look back at verse 28 of Proverbs chapter 22. Notice those first two words. Can you read them out loud with me together? Remove not. You know what that means? That means they can be moved. They can be moved. If you're being commanded not to move them, then clearly they're movable. They're movable. I look at our culture we live in, and I've preached passionately today, but I've got to say, this breaks my heart. This absolutely breaks my heart, what I'm about to say. I look at our culture today, and the landmarks of the family have been moved. It's not that they're being moved. Yes, they're being moved more, but they have been moved. As a country, we have watched since the 1920s, realistically, the rock of the family get moved a couple of inches at a time. Decade by decade by decade. 
The feminist movement brought around the, uh, it's, it changed from the concept of the woman completing the husband, changed it to the woman competing with the husband. Women became the competitor in the home, not the completer in the home. Can I tell you ladies today, I say this with much love and sincerity in my voice as I can, if you want to be fulfilled in life, do your role that God has called you to do. Embrace it. Say, but pastor, that goes against the culture. The Bible goes against the culture. The Bible goes against the culture. God has called you to come alongside and complete your husband. We live in a day and age where the woman's being told, girl, power. You can do anything that, anything you can do, I can do better. How many remember the Mia Ham commercial from the 1990s? Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you, the song says. And I've got to say that God created men to be better at women than some, on some things, and God created women to be better at some things than men. I remember a, a time when uh, Matthew was really little, and uh, Matthew was hungry in the middle of the night. Matthew was sleeping between Angela and I, and I woke up to Matthew eating my backbone. I've got to say, there are some things Angela's a lot better at than I am, Amen. God created men and women to do different things. Different things. It's not a matter of can a woman lift more weights than a man or outrun a man or kick a soccer ball in the goal better than a guy can. It's not about can a woman outthink a man in the office or, or, or run circles around him with administrative skills. My friend, no, God has given each of us individual roles. And instead of trying to swap places with each other, why don't men be men and women be women? We need to protect these landmarks. They've been pushed by our society and our culture. We talked about marriage earlier, how that's changed. We, and I look at our homes with our children, and I see children. I see children now who don't understand how the home's supposed to work. You know, Grandma and Grandpa, Grandma and Grandpa quit on marriage. And Mom and Dad, they, they just chose to live together. Mom and Dad said, uh, well, we're not, I'm talking about a cultural move here, okay? Grandma and Grandpa got divorces. Mom and Dad said, no need to get married, we'll just live together. And now children are just deciding that, hey, who says you gotta live with someone of the opposite gender? We can at least live with someone of the same gender. What is this? This is generational moving of the landmark. A couple of inches and a couple of feet at a time. And I'm sitting back over here and I'm looking at where the landmark used to be and I'm looking where it is now and I'm saying, the Bible still says, says, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And oh my goodness, has it moved. The landmark of what a church is and does has been moved. What did God establish the church for? Minister to the lost, right? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's not that the gates of hell are attacking us. We're attacking the gates of hell. We're keeping people from going there. What else is the church supposed to do? Keep the doctrine pure. Preach the Word of God. Be a place where the Word of God is fed out and given and people are loved on. That's what the purpose of the, of the church is. It's a place to come and be recharged in the Lord. I was talking to an area pastor just last week and he was talking about how that in the New England area, most Baptist churches have a great time of fellowship because the world up here outside of the church is just so dark. Now, I've got to tell you, come here and get recharged with your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So hang around and talk after church. And don't talk about what you watched on TV last night. Don't talk uh, exclusively about secular things. Talk about the Word of God and charge each other up. Landmark of the church has been moved. I'm leery of calling any church that does not teach and preach salvation by grace through faith, I'm leery of calling it a church. Because a church, it's not a church. It's a religious organization. I gotta say the landmarks of solid Bible teaching and preaching, they've been moved. They've been moved. I don't say this to toot my horn because it's not about me. But since 1980, I don't know how many churches there have been in the Stratford area that have accurately taught the Bible. Is it possible that this is the only one? It's quite possible. It's quite possible. Why? Do you know that in the 17 and 1800s, New England was filled with Bible colleges and preachers and solid churches? What's happened? What's happened to the doctrine of the church? The landmark's been moved. The landmark's been moved. You know, the Bible is very clear that that is not something you want to do. Let me read for you a verse out of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 17. The Bible says, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. Cursed. These people that are methodically moving the landmark of the family, they're cursed. These people that are methodically moving the landmark of what a church is and does and and how it's supposed to work, they're cursed. These people who are methodically, carefully pushing the rock a couple of inches a generation, a couple of feet a year, they're, they're moving the landmark of Bible doctrine, the Bible says they're cursed. Oh boy, I would hate to stand before God one day and give account to Him when I was the one guilty of yanking the Bible in prayer out of the public school. Oh, I would be scared to death to be the one that took the lawsuit all the way to the Supreme Court that saw uh, uh, the definition, God's institution of marriage, get changed. And that whole culture that got caught up in that, oh, I would be scared to death to stand before God one day and do that. Now, I don't think any of you are guilty of that today, but are you guarding these landmarks? Are you guarding them? Or are you allowing modern TV and culture to push you into thinking that way? Are you guarding these landmarks? Are you guarding them? Or are you allowing compromises in your own life and heart to have the boundaries of what's right and wrong be moved? The Bible says every man did that which was right in their own eyes. And that was the book of Judges where there was just destruction after destruction after destruction. What we need are people who say, I'm going to stand by the landmark and I'm going to protect it. And the only way anyone's going to move that landmark on my watch is if they kill me. Is if they kill me. Look over one page if you would. Rather, Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 10. It says, Remove not the old landmark. Enter not in the fields of the fatherless. Look at verse 11. For their Redeemer is mighty. He shall plead their cause with thee. He shall plead their cause with thee. Remove not the old landmark. Let me just say in closing this morning, let me just say that we have a duty to walk guard around these landmarks. You know, William Tyndale, William Tyndale, they had a vote about William Tyndale, and they voted him to be a heretic. They threw him out. They burned all of his works before they would kill him. They called him a nasty name. 
You say, Pastor, you're asking me to stand up and defend our landmarks. What are you asking me to do? I'm asking you to pull the weeds out around the landmarks. I'm asking you to make sure the landmark stays clean and in place. I'm asking you to be willing to be called a nasty name here or there. I'm asking you to be willing to even die so that landmark doesn't get moved on your watch. Society and culture might move the landmarks. They can't move in your home. They can't move in your home. You've got to stand up for what's right. Will you guard, will you protect the ancient landmarks which our fathers have set? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.